Welcome to On the Bench. This is Brennan Sinone. I have a fun interview lined up, a positive one, one that has a lot of glowing reviews on FSU's football staff as it comes to recruiting and, and just positive recruiting updates in general for the Seminoles. I think you guys are going to enjoy what we have lined up for you. I am going to have Gabe Brooks on to to basically talk about LSU's recruiting footprint and, and what's establishing in Louisiana and, and some other other states in the area he covers, which is basically the Midlands. That's Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Arkansas. Gabe has covered Texas football for about 15 years or so, uh, but but he has a lot of uh, a lot of sourcing in Louisiana as well, and he's going to be able to lend some insight into a, a state that has become very important for FSU. Uh, we're going to kind of lead off with talking about uh, Destin Pazon, Fat Pazon as he's known the four-star wide receiver who dropped his top five recently and had FSU in it. Right now, things are looking really good for FSU in that regard. So Gabe will kind of talk about what he likes about Pazon's game, why he thinks FSU is considered the leader right now. But then we're going to get into some other things too, like FSU's presence in Louisiana, uh, the, the recruiting efforts of David Yak Johnson, and then just what FSU's staff is doing in general because he talks to coaches uh, from Texas, from Louisiana, guys who have worked with some of these FSU coaches before and they're going to give you some insight into like what what this staff does particularly well when it comes to evaluation when it comes to having a recruiting presence in states outside of florida and he's also going to do some evaluations on some guys who fsu signed in this past cycle too so you're going to want to stay tuned for this uh gabe is really really good it's a good informative interview and gives you a good overarching view of recruiting in general and evaluating recruits and how that's changed since he started doing this about two decades ago before we get to the interview with Gabe, I do want to go over a not not a sponsor, but just another local business that uh, that I want to point to and, and have you guys kind of give some attention to. And if you are leaving the house, if you're being safe while doing so, please. Uh, this is this is a really great local business that that I frequented quite a bit lately. And uh, and last time I went there was right before the quarantine. I picked up Madden 20 and that is Games for Less. It's a video game store off Appalachia, kind of by the Walmart shopping center, a little bit past uh, past Capital Circle. George is the owner there, and he does such a great job with that shop. They have the latest releases for Nintendo Switch, for PlayStation 4, Xbox One. Xbox One, excuse me. I, like I said, I picked up Madden 20 right before the quarantine. It's been a lifesaver. It was on sale. Uh, you know, they don't they don't price gouge there. And they also have games for older systems like PlayStation 2, but but also uh, for Nintendo, for Super Nintendo, Game Boy, Nintendo 64, Xbox, uh, they have it all. And they do trade-ins. Uh, they uh, they are, are being extremely safe and proactive right now with basically how they're operating things. They're trying to be safe. They're only allowing two customers in at a time. Uh, they have their employees wearing gloves and wiping stuff down constantly. When I went there a couple weeks ago, uh, they had hand sanitizer right up there at the front of the store. Uh, and so they're they're practicing social distancing. They are keeping their doors open right now. If you are out, please be safe. But but they are open. So that's Games for Less off Appalachia. Really like George again. Like he's he's a good dude. So if you're out there, support local businesses. Be safe while doing so. Uh, but but certainly if you're a video game fan and you want something to kind of entertain you during downtimes, I would say Games for Less is a good place to to look at. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to go to our national commercial break. And then after that, we're going to have uh, we're going to have Gabe on to talk a little FSU recruiting. 
All right, welcome back to On the Bench. I have Gabe Brooks with me, as promised. He covers Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, Oklahoma here at 24-7 Sports. Gabe, welcome to On the Bench. How's it going, dude? I'm good. Thanks for having me on here. Uh, I I appreciate it. I uh, thought there – I'd want to get you on after National Signing Day because uh, FSU targeted so many guys from Louisiana. Uh, then just life got really crazy, obviously, for all of us. But uh, to bring you on now, I think it's really appropriate because – FSU finds itself in the top five for one of the best wide receivers in the country, one of the best wide receivers in Louisiana, which is saying a lot this year. That's Destin Pazon. He just put FSU in his top five. So that's a group that includes the Seminoles, Florida, Alabama, LSU, Oklahoma. Uh, what did you make of, of the top five? And if I can ask Gabe, like, where do you think Florida State truly stands among that, that smattering right now? Well, you know, I was talking to a couple of people uh, the day before, you know, because he announced he was going to come out with the top five, and we had a heads up. Uh, so I think it's probably the day before um, I was talking with a few people, and, you know, there were six teams I really thought that, you know, five of them would, would come from that group of six, and uh, the other was USC. And I thought, uh, I really, you know, just because he had visited there recently, and I really thought that um, the five he named were the five that made the most sense. They were kind of the ones that we expected. Um, you know, Bama, LSU, Florida, Florida State, uh, and Oklahoma. Now, as far as uh, where FSU stands in there, I mean, you have to, you know, since he named the top five, you've seen the run on the 24-7 sports crystal ball. Uh, huge surge. Uh, for Florida State there, and I, I think that that is accurate with where things stand. Um, you know, the couple of sources I have in Louisiana seem to think that FSU would would be in the lead right now. Um, you know, if you're, if you're naming a leader, I think they have to be considered in the lead. Um, you know, the thing a lot with Louisiana kids is you got to worry about LSU. You know, even if they commit early, you got to worry about the duration of the the cycle if LSU is going to come back and get them. And that's happened with uh, guys, you know, that are running back two cycles ago who's at LSU now, um, Ty Davis Price, and uh, or excuse me, not Ty Davis Price, John Emery, uh, who had committed to Georgia and wound up at LSU, and then Coy Moore as a receiver in this past class uh, who had committed to USC originally and wound up signing with LSU. But from what I've heard, it seems like Alabama may be the bigger threat to Florida State than LSU. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, having said that, it seems like everything we're hearing right now is pretty positive for the Seminoles. Have Have you put in your crystal ball yet for him? I know there was a flurry two days ago, so I got sidetracked and couldn't keep count of all of it. Have you felt comfortable yeah. enough to put in a, a crystal ball yet? I actually haven't, and I was about to here before I, I got I got on with you, and I went to check, and I saw that there had been a huge run. So uh, I thought, well, there's, you know, it's not pressing right now since there have been several beat me to the punch, but I will probably be putting it in, yeah, based on what I've been hearing the last day or two. Look at look at you knowing how to play the crystal ball game and, and maximizing those points and mitigating risk. I like it. That's. I say I'm just re- I'm just reckless, man. I just throw mine out there because no one of all the guys on the website, like Chris Knee, Josh Newber- Newberg, and even Zach Blostein, like everyone cares about their recruiting input much more than mine. I don't really cover recruiting, so I just I just throw stuff against the wall and it's reckless and it's fun to do. 
I'm admittedly conservative when it comes to making picks, and <laughs> uh, I I, I want to make more. That's something I've kind of pledged to myself to do in this 21 class is make more. How I made only about uh, 99 or 100 for the whole. 20 class and I would like to easily surpass that for 21 so I guess I need to uh, get on it with some of these guys if you want I'll get all of my readers and listeners to uh, to start pestering you about putting in an FSU crystal ball for, <laughs> all, for right. Faison. all right we'll do that all right. All right. that sounds good <laughs> all right and correct me if I'm wrong here Gabe Destin Paison, he goes by fat, or am I thinking of the wrong guy? It's fa- He's fat, yeah, right? Yeah, I believe he does. I okay. think so, yeah. All right, so we'll call him fat for the rest fat. of this podcast. We'll, we'll do that just for fun. So fat, what, what does fat do do well as a as a player? Well, he's pretty quick-footed. Um, he, he's not like an overly big receiver, but he's big enough from a frame standpoint. Like, he's not... Uh, he's not somebody who's going to grow into like a 220 pound outside receiver or anything like that, but he's, uh, you know, he's a, he's about six feet. He looks fairly long on tape. Um, uh, you know, he's pretty lean right now around 170, 175, I think, but he should be able to, to get a decent amount of, uh, of bulk on him, even though he's kind of narrow through the core, uh, skinny ankles, uh, kind of long levered, um, but again, like for a kid who's kind of built long and sinewy, he's he's pretty quick footed, and that helps him in his route running. Um, he should have a pretty high route running ceiling uh, going forward because he shows some pretty good short area quickness and agility. Um, you know, there's at the high school level, a lot of the times you can just tell I got to go, and he can beat a guy vertically. But in college, you're going to have to be able to get open and. Uh, that means particularly in the short to intermediate passing game, and that's something that uh, he should be able to do. Um, there's there's not a ton of context as it relates to overall athleticism, uh, meaning verified testing and track times and all that. He did run an insanely fast 40 at the All-American Underclassmen Combine in January, but it was so fast, I think it kind of made people wonder <laughs> how accurate it was <laughs> so, or, or he uh, or he broke the machine with his speed too is exactly. the positive spin on it yeah the, and that's usually our slow track that's usually the, it's in the alamo dome and it's it's real early in the morning and the times are usually pretty slow um but he ran like a four three something which i mean it's just <laughs> insanity on a verified system and i don't know if there was another one under four or five out of hundreds of kids that day. So, you know, maybe, you know, that's, we definitely know he's fast. It's just a matter, it's just a matter of how fast. Yeah. If, if he's legit four four three speed or not. Hmm. Yeah. We'll we'll have to get him tested. We'll have to do another test with that. That's okay. I got mine locked out of the room because he will, uh, he will start squeaking stuff and barking if I if I give him the opportunity to. So he's locked out and, and being taken care of right now. No worries. Uh, love pups on the podcast here. So with Fats ranking right now, he's somewhere about like 150 nationally on the composite and somehow like one of six amazing wide receivers coming out of Louisiana this year. How how impressive is the wide receiver class? And I guess is is that opening the door for FSU to 
to get into Louisiana? Like is LSU like focusing on other wide receivers right now? I'm just curious, like one, how that wide receiver class stacks up compared to other states nationally. And then two, if, if that's kind of creating a, a log jam for, for the guys who want to go to LSU, like you said earlier, Gabe, like LSU usually has its pick of, of kids from the boot. Yeah. I think that that could definitely help, uh, uh an out of state school like Florida state, um, because there are going to be guys like, uh, Brian Thomas jr. Who is a, a six foot four, 185 pound guy who has division one basketball offers. Um, that's the kind of that's the thing that's interesting. There, there's at least three four-star receivers in Louisiana that we know of in this class who have Division One offers in football and basketball. And Brian wow. Thomas is one. Um, Keon Coleman is one who plays for a small private school, uh, Opelousas Catholic, and he had more than a thousand receiving yards on 35 catches and scored 22 times on 35 catches. Uh, the competition is not very good, but if you're good, you're good. And if you really want to see some freaky stuff, turn on his basketball tape. Um, uh, he is not only outrageously explosive, he is, I mean, he's a pull up from 23 feet kind of guy and can do all that too. Um, which you know, you're scouting football guys, you, it, it helps to get athletic context for multiple sports. And usually the guys who can play basketball, they're just finishers and shot blockers. But he, not only is he a finisher, he has all the dexterity and skill and all that to go with, uh, you know, which helps his ball skills in football as well. Um, Tyrese Johnson is another guy, New Orleans area guy who has some basketball stuff going on too. Um, it's just, it's, and then Chris Hilton, who, uh, is a, like a seven foot high jumper is another big time, like national top 100 receiver. Um, I mean, the state's just, it's really loaded. You know, if you compare it to somewhere like Texas, like Texas, just the sheer number of receivers is going to be high because not only the population base, but everyone, um, almost everyone at the 5A and 6A level, the two largest classes in Texas plays spread and has four receivers on the field at a time. Um, you have to go down to the smaller classifications generally to find, uh, you know, people running the split back veer and the wing tee and all that. Whereas if you're in Louisiana, there are going to be some 5A schools that still run that older stuff. But, uh, nevertheless, like Louisiana has, this this class at, at receiver in Louisiana is pretty special. There's no doubt. I had myself muted. Sorry. Um, oh, sorry. So, all right. So so pivoting. Excuse me. So pivoting to uh, to still Louisiana, but going more general now. Uh, if FSU does somehow get fat and and they are able to beat some of the schools that we mentioned for his services, I think uh, think it'll largely be because of the efforts of David Yak Johnson, who was a high school coach formerly in in New Orleans and FSU's recruiting coordinator now. Uh, do you have a, a feeling of what his presence is like in New Orleans? And I guess if he does manage to go in there and, and get a guy like Fat, like what that would say about what FSU can do in, in the state of Louisiana moving forward? Well, there does seem to be um, a little bit of buzz about uh, 
Florida State's ability to get into Louisiana and, like you said, particularly New Orleans because of David Johnson. Um, you know, you have that connection being the former, I think he's the former head coach of St. Augustine, and uh, that's that's a pretty well-known uh, program in, in New Orleans that has produced Tyron Matthew and Leonard Fournette and uh, had a kid in this 2020 class named Tywan Barry Hill, who's a really good linebacker, who went to Kansas. Um, you know, Kansas is kind of an example. They've had a guy the last few years named Tony Hall, who was a head coach in the New Orleans area. And uh, he's no longer there, but he was able to get get guys that you would think Kansas doesn't have really any business to get uh, out of New Orleans, like Puka Williams. Uh, and Corian Harris, um, and that's the kind of thing I'm thinking. You know, that I, I, that's the kind of parallel I see. Or is uh, you know Florida State being able to get, you know if Kansas can get into New Orleans, then surely Florida State can with the kind of connection of having a former head coach from that area. I agree, and it seems like it's an area of emphasis for them because they have relationships there, and I think they're realistic in knowing that. You know, LSU is the top dog in the state, always has been, especially with what they were able to do this past season. So you may not be able to go toe-to-toe with, with LSU from guys in the state right now, but if LSU doesn't want anyone, uh, and there's certainly plenty of talent like you alluded to, Gabe, at FSU seems like it has the ability to be like that that next-in-line type of deal right now in Louisiana, which would be huge because it's such a good state. The 2020 class, I mean, you you look at the top 20 players in Louisiana, and, you know, you know it's it, you got a couple of guys. You got a couple. TCU got guys. Um, there are, you know, it's a small state. In, in when you talk about just population, but when you're talking per capita with football recruits, it is extremely strong. I mean, there there are a hundred FBS caliber guys per cycle in Louisiana, and for a state that small, you know. You, you, you think about like Arkansas or Oklahoma, those are states that, you know, are not that different population wise. You know, they may have 25 FBS caliber guys in a cycle. And uh, Louisiana has, you know, probably four times that usually. Uh, so that's, there are definitely guys who uh, are to be had that may not necessarily uh, be an LSU or Bama guy just automatically. Um, there, there are some really good players that that are going to fall through the LSU and Alabama cracks, so to speak. One guy who fits that bill uh, seemingly perfectly, it's a good transition here, is Andrew Jones, the uh, the three-star linebacker from, uh, I'm going to say it, I may say it wrong, Mario, Louisiana. But we were very high on him uh, as a network 18th inside linebacker nationally, which is about... 10 spots higher than where he is on the composite. So what are your thoughts on him? And, and right now the crystal balls seem to be trending for FSU for, for Andrew Jones as well. Yeah. He's one who um, I think Charles power, one our national scout uh, first got a look at him and, and did the, the grade on him. We gave him an 88, which in our grading system is a very high three star, mm-hmm. um, you know, something that we preach is that, uh, yes, I think fans love seeing four stars, understandably, but three stars are really good players, especially on that higher end. And uh, you look at his, you know, overall profile as a prospect. 
uh, almost 140 tackles, um, like something like 40 tackles for loss, you know, huge production as a junior and production is not everything, but it is definitely something. And, uh, Production is something we look for uh, when we're evaluating guys. You know, he closes fast. Um, he shows some pretty good short area explosion. Um, he can, you know, meaning that he can uncoil without gathering. Like he doesn't have to get a running start to really have some pop behind his pads. He can kind of just uh, explode in, in close quarters without needing a running start. Now, when he does get a running start, um, he's really, really dangerous as a hitter. Uh, he pursues well to the perimeter. He can redirect pretty well uh, laterally. Um, he shows some really good instincts and timing as a blitzer. Um, I, I think some stuff that you know we would like to know more about him is there's kind of a lack of athletic context uh, going back to that testing and uh, verified testing numbers or track numbers. Um, you know, he's not the biggest guy, but in today's game, you can kind of, fit players who he really seems even though his experience has been forward and downhill his build is about a guy who's going to play in space and something that you'll want to see is more um, a lot of his tape uh, almost all of his tape is playing either laterally or forward and he's the kind of player that his build he probably is going to have to play going backward dropping into zone or dropping into man some so that's something that you'll want to see more of. But as far as just his natural pursuit ability, his instincts, his production, all of that stuff is really encouraging. So there are a few guys that I want to get to in the 2020 class uh, that FSU has already locked up, do kind of a retroactive deal here. The first one was Ja'Kai Douglas. He was a, uh, a four-star wide receiver coming out of Louisiana, but FSU has actually moved him to running back this spring. Uh, curious to see, I guess, how that goes moving forward. But Gabe, given what you know about about Ja'Kai Douglas and his skill set, what are your general thoughts about him? You know, maybe playing running back a little bit more than than we initially anticipated. You know, honestly, it doesn't really surprise me all that much. I, I did his uh, our official scouting report for him, and you know, first thing I said, we always lead off with kind of the build or the frame, and first thing I said was, you know, high school quarterback with a slot receiver or all-purpose backs build. And you know, he's frame limited, but he's he's pretty good. Um, for the size that he is, he is has a decent amount of bulk. Um, because he's played so much in the backfield, that should give him an immediate feel for being able to play a running back spot. You know, we know he can catch the ball. Um, he ran a four-five-seven verified 40 as a sophomore, which is a very good number on an on a electronic system, especially at that age. Um, I, I believe that the best 100-meter time we had on him was 11.07, which is very good for a shorter player because shorter guys, um, they're usually really bursty, but they kind of top out at the long end. So to have close to 11 flat speed, and being a five foot nine guy, that means he can really roll. So uh, I can definitely see why the the skill set with not just athleticism, but the build and the experience of playing a ton of quarterback uh, in high school, how he could be able to fit in the backfield as a running back. And I wish there was a way to test it, but like you could tell when he has the ball in his hand when FSU got him 
to uh, to turn the edge a couple times when they were able to free him up in the limited spring that we saw. Like he he hits his threshold, his max speed pretty quickly. He accelerates at a really high level. So. I think it's an interesting move as well. Uh, speaking of speed, Gabe, Corey Wren, let's let's go over him. He got a late bump. Uh, you were a big proponent, I believe, or correct me if I'm wrong, but you were a big proponent of of moving him up. And I think he finished with a four star ranking uh, in our in our network. Correct. Yep, he did. And I was indeed, you know, I think something that we're going to more and more. Um, I think generally and I don't pretend to be an expert on like recruiting ranking history or, or the the recruiting rankings industry and all that but um i think in general traditionally rankings in the past have been done on you know it's it's mostly eyeball test um if you're using data it's, it's 40 times um and i think in the last couple of cycles and even more so moving forward something that we are really concentrating on um, spearheaded by Martin Simmons and Charles Power um, is data, and it kind of falls in line with where other sports are going. You know, baseball kind of let the deal with you know metrics uh, as far as pro sports, and basketball has caught up with them um, as far as trying to use data to determine playing styles. And uh, I think football. Um, Scouting and evaluation is the first real area where that you're seeing um, a ton of data-driven analysis, you know, drive decision-making. And uh, I say all that to say Corey Wren is maybe the fastest player on the field that I've ever covered. And I've been covering high school football for 15 years. Wow. Um, he's a 10 4 100-meter guy the junior last spring that is elite track speed um i mean he is an absolute burner so when you say it's the fastest guy that you've ever seen on the field you know you got to trust your eyes but when you can back it up with data like a 10 4 100 meter time that's really what adds value to it and you know charles power again he is very good about knowing what numbers and what uh, what thresholds in different track events or different combine events, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, the thresholds for different uh, events really matter uh, based on projecting future success. And when you have somebody who can run a hundred meter time, uh, we're going to be willing at ten four one. We're going to be willing much more often than not to bet on this guy being a four star than, you know, a guy who we may think looks similar on the field, but has like an 11 to 500 meter time. Uh, that way we're not depending just solely on what our eyes are telling us. We're depending on all the data we can possibly gather. And something about Corey Wren is that, he plays for one of those big school powers in Louisiana that runs a split back veer. And there's going to be a learning curve because, you know, I'm, I'm assuming he'll be a slot guy. There'll be a learning curve, um, you know, playing, uh, not playing in the backfield full time and, you know, but learning how to be a route runner and all that kind of stuff. But uh, we are willing in his case and, 
you know, cases of guys who are this fast who are willing to bet on the speed. Gabe, going back to the what Charles and, and Barton are kind of emphasizing with using data, different data points than maybe we would have in the past, uh, how does that go about, like, how has that impacted the way you go about your day-to-day work in evaluating? Like, are, are you trying to secure more information like that with testing? Uh, or are you still basically going on film and what you see in person? I was curious if, if that's changed up, like the way you go ahead and, and do your job on a day-to-day basis. Well, I can tell you, like, when I first started doing this several years ago, this, you know, my boss had a question about a guy and wanted to know my opinion on him. I largely was just looking at film. Um, you know, I would try to find a 40 times, but 40 times, are, you know, they're, they're unreliable unless they're a verified electronic time. Um, nowadays, um, you know, if I see a guy, especially a skill position player or a defensive back, uh, the, the ta- you know, obviously the tape, you have to be able to tell if the guy can play. So if he can play, thing you want to know, the very next thing with those skill guys and those DBs, I, I search for track numbers. And I honestly am more interested in the track number than I am a 40 time. Um, in general, I want to know if a guy plays multiple sports, because that's becoming a, a, a better indicator of NFL draft projection um, as multiple sport guys, you know, and different positions have different things that are, are, you know, are telling uh, statistics or data points. Like the hundred meter time is a big deal for running backs. Um, if you look at the last several drafts, like if you find guys hundred meter times in high school, there's a pretty big correlation between getting drafted high and that number. Um, offensive linemen, it's uh, shuttle time, the pro agility, the 5-10-5 shuttle. Um, so, for example, one reason we ranked uh, uh, number one offensive guard in our final 2020 rankings, Nate Anderson from the Dallas area, he had, I think, a 4-2-0 shuttle, which I mean is like a defensive back shuttle. And the kid is six four, six five, two sixty, two seventy. Um, and you know the tape's good. All everything else checks out. So when you have information like that and you see trends um, with the draft, uh, that kind of tells you uh, that you know this is probably a good guy to bet on. So I'm looking for, you know, I, I will watch basketball tape. I'll try to find power listing numbers. Um, a lot of the times I'll talk to high school coaches, especially here in Texas, since I've been covering Texas high school stuff since 2005. Um, and I have a pretty big network of high school coaches who will help me, um, you know, with their insight on stuff. So it's, it's just far more than just watching the guy in person or watching them on tape compared to what it used to be. Uh, that's that's interesting. I like hearing that that there's so many more avenues, and I know it makes things more difficult for you guys as evaluators. But that's great to be thorough. Uh, one guy who doesn't have a lot of film out there, at least on the huddle, like that, I had a hard time when I was watching him after FSU got in. Got, excuse me, got in on him. That's offensive lineman Robert Scott, Scott from Arkansas. Uh, 
I know he has a lot of like physical tools when you just uh, see the measurements and in person, he certainly passes the eye test. What are your thoughts on Robert? And I guess, how did you guys go about evaluating him? Cause I think he finished as a pretty high three-star for us. Yeah. You know, he, he has a good frame. Um, I, I didn't get to see him as much as I did some other guys because uh, I, I, didn't he move from, I think he moved from Memphis to West Memphis. Is that right? He was in he was in Arkansas, but like he didn't want to be in Arkansas. He was an interesting recruitment, and I'm not sure exactly where he ended up, uh, like where he came from. But he didn't have a whole lot of film. He didn't. He only had. Yeah, I remember seeing him a bit. I didn't individually scout him much, but I remember seeing him a good uh, a good bit later in the cycle. And like you said, he wound up being a, a high three, being a top five guy in the state of Arkansas. Um, you know, he's, I think we have him listed at six five three oh five, um, which is pretty much college ready size. Something that you know, I had one very reliable source tell me about. Uh, you know how you know why was Arkansas not a bigger player? Um, this source seemed to think that that the fan, both the kid and his family, kind of wanted to get him out of Arkansas, maybe to see you know see the world, so to speak. Um, I do believe uh, that Mike Norvell was on him really early. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that that helped. Uh, I, I think that, you know, I don't know if he's a left tackle guy long term. Um, I think he should definitely be able to play right tackle. Um, you know, in addition to not a ton of tape, there's not a lot of metrics. You know, there's not really any verified testing or anything like that to really have a number to give us, uh, you know, short area um, mobility from a data standpoint. It's pretty much what you can see with your eyes. And that's, you know, that's what happens sometimes. If you see a guy with a high three, um, you know, based on what we're trying to do with all the available data, you know, unless we're just completely sold on somebody being a stone cold lock of a four star, then, you know, they may end up just having to sit at that high three because there's just not a, a you know a ton of data to really give ammunition to the case for four star. If that makes sense, it does. No, it does make sense, and it's that offensive line obviously is the crapshoot of all of all crapshoots when you're looking at evaluating. Yeah, it's a really tough. Yeah, it's very because so much of it you can project guys to guard or tackle or center. And some centers may end up playing tackle, and some tackles may end up playing guard or center. And it, it's the one, it's a unit where it, uh, it it's, it's a, a group where the unit really matters more than the individual guys. And I know that sounds cliche, but if you have five guys who can play together, that matters more than having five guys who are, you know, perceived to be relatively high who can't play together. And also we're trying to evaluate like NFL teams miss on offensive linemen at an alarmingly high rate. And we're trying to like, you guys are trying to go ahead and evaluate what an 18 year old is going to become with a college weight program. Like, so think about the variables that you're trying to trying to sift through all the time. It's like, how's this kid going to do with extra weight? If he has extra weight, is he going to shed it? Um, There's that just into just how he's, does he fit in the scheme and how does he have four other functional teammates around him it's tough i don't i don't envy you at all when it comes to 
uh, evaluating offensive linemen. It's a, it is. It's a really tough position, uh, really tough position to evaluate. Something that's really uh, kind of popped up more in the last few cycles. Um, uh, as far as like comparing scouting evaluation to like the, first, like the, the NFL draft success, something that seems to be trending um, is guys who are not 300 pounds or heavier already. Like last year, the first round, there were five offensive linemen taken in the first round. None was 300 pounds in high school. Uh, I think two or three of them were under 270. Like one of them was like a 225 pound quarterback in high school. Um, so it's it is tough to you know if we're trying because our whole thing is we're trying to project the NFL draft and tough to ignore those numbers even if you're in love with a kid who is six six three ten as a high school senior when when you know just in general that uh it is so much easier to gain to put weight on a kid through four years of college than it is to take a 350 pound guy and get him down to 315 it's just you know the former happens far more often than the latter so that's the kind of stuff that we're on lookout for all the time. Now, it, it kind of butts heads sometimes with what the colleges want because colleges often want guys who can come in and play. And a kid who's 6'6", 330, and is picking up, you know, a DN with his left hand and a Mike Packer with his right hand and throwing him into the third row of the stands, you know, that's going to appeal quite a bit to a college coach. But that's not going to... You know, he's not going to be able to do that in college, and he's really not going to be able to do that if he is lucky enough to get to the pro level. So that's something where ideally you're looking at especially tackles. Um, You're looking for long, lean, athletic guys whose best physical uh, development is ahead of them rather than behind them. I would say that FSU would definitely take the six foot six, three thirty guy who can throw two guys with his hands, or the skinny, high potential one. At this point, they will take quality offensive tackle play. Uh, Gabe, I got one last question for you before I let you run, and it's kind of general, broad here. But uh, you mentioned your connections to to Texas, uh, and obviously you're covering Arkansas, Louisiana as well. Mike Norvell, he uh, he's from Arkansas, played football at Arkansas has experience recruiting in Texas. He has staff members who have experience recruiting in Texas. As we mentioned earlier, David Yak Johnson, Louisiana. Where you're at, uh, what is the general thought about Mike Norvell, the potential he has as a recruiter, and what he can accomplish at at Florida State? Well, the first thing that uh, comes to mind for me personally just in my own perception of, of Mike Norvell is that I always thought during his time in Memphis, uh, when they would start offering guys, especially in Texas, I always thought that they scouted and evaluated well. I, I did not, I very rarely thought, well, this seems like a reach, even for a group of five school. Like I always felt like, they, uh, especially on offense, um, they really always seem to know what they wanted on offense. Uh, they would recruit um, 
something I like about quarterback play that they seem to do from a recruiting standpoint. You know, they signed Memphis signed a kid from South Louisiana named Keelan Brown, who was a high three star, who probably didn't have more um, more uh, big offers because of his size, but he won a lot in high school and he can spin it. And you know, it doesn't matter if he's five ten or five eleven. And that's something I. I noticed, you know, I saw him offer a few guys like that. And I think in today's game, um, that's, you know, I, I think that, I think the era of everybody has to be 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", to play quarterback is past us. And, uh, you know, I really think that, that, that they were kind of ahead of that, doing a good job of scouting guys like that at Memphis. And, um, you know, I have a couple of college sources who seem to think that he's a very good offensive mind, a uh, good recruiter, a good evaluator. And, you know, that kind of always fell in line with just my, without knowing him or any of his staff really and uh, personally, that that kind of jived with the perception I had of him. And, you know, I always thought that, that they were not afraid to offer early, which, you know, there are still staff all over the place that, don't want to be the first offer. Don't want to be the second or third offer. And I never really got that feeling with Memphis. And, um, you know, they offered Florida state offered a kid from Arkansas a couple weeks ago, uh, ago named Quincy Mac, uh, Quincy McAdoo and very first offer. So, um, and the kid's good. And so, so I, I, I think that's refreshing when you're not, when you're not really afraid to, trust your evaluation and go ahead and pursue it. Yeah. I really like that a lot. That is music to the ears of FSU fans. I'll, uh, (laughs) and you know, they gave, they had to, they had to really lean on the evaluation at the end of this recruiting cycle. Cause there's so few blue chips remaining, as you know, like when a new coaching staff comes in, but they had, they went after a few guys like that. One from South Georgia, DJ Lunday, who I've loved for like a year now, uh, and was just wondering why FSU wasn't in on him. FSU wasn't in on him. They go in at the very last minute. Uh, he had an offer from Georgia. Not sure how committable it was. Uh, Georgia was keeping him more. But, yeah, they beat out Virginia Tech for him. And they figured that out like in a matter of a month of being here. So I, I'm excited to see what they can do as as evaluators. It sounds like what you've heard and what you've seen, just limited scope here right now, uh, that you see that from that group as well. So, uh, Gabe, I'm going to stop rambling. I uh, I know I kept you twice as long as I promised. That's kind of what I no, do it's here. All right. I probably I probably rambled too much myself. It's all good. This was fun. I think it was informative. Uh, we got to nerd out a little bit about like numbers and metrics, which is always a fun thing for me as well. So I appreciate it. Thanks so much for your time, man. I I, I do appreciate. It. I'm sure my listeners do too. For sure. Anything y'all need, just let me know. All right. Sounds good. Have a good one and stay safe, dude. All right. You too.